All right, have a seat. And let's get into some grit. I've got a message for you today titled, Now We're Talking. And it's titled that because I think it's the moments when we're uncomfortable, when it gets gritty, when we're being poured out, building the kingdom, stepping out, pressing on. Those are the moments where we go, okay, God, now we're talking. This is what life is supposed to be like. So our definition of grit in this series is the God-given ability to step out and press on in difficult situations. You don't have to look too far for a difficult situation if you're a human being living on earth. It kinda just feels like the world is one giant difficult situation at this point. And I've been thinking about the human experience and maybe like the most common baseline challenging difficult situation we find ourselves in as humans is relationships with each other. Is people, it's you and it's me. And I wanna talk today about relational grit, something that I do not think we have a lot of in our current climate, in this culture, and something that we as followers of Jesus are called to have and to operate with. And I wanna use our definition of grit and work backwards to define relational grit and why I think we have found ourselves as a culture and as people lacking relational grit. So difficult situations, We've identified that that is simply relationships with people who are different than us, which is people, everybody. You can have a twin, still a different person, which means there's gonna be some difference, some difficulty in the relationship. People are tough, especially ones with opinions. And everybody's got one, and now everybody's got a megaphone for the whole world to hear it. And I think what's happened, this strange thing that's been happening because of the digital age, is we aren't seeing each other as humans anymore because a lot of our relationships are lived digitally rather than face-to-face. So we can say things that we'd never say to somebody's face and blast it out to the whole world. And it's getting easier and easier to just write people off. It's difficult. Talk about pressing on in relationship or we could say enduring with people. Nobody wants to do that anymore. This person believes something politically different than me, then canceled. See you later. I don't want you in my life. Relationships, they're tough, they're exhausting, they ask a lot of us and it's getting easier and easier to just say, never mind. So rather than just pressing on and enduring with people, we just cancel them. So difficult circumstances, relationships with people who are different than us, pressing on from our definition, and we'll call that enduring with people. And because that is a lost art of sticking it out, in relationship, we're more and more deciding, I'm not gonna step out in general and engage in relationship. I'm not gonna even engage with somebody who's different than me. So here's our definition of relational grit. The God-given ability to engage in relationship and endure with people who are different than us. A lost art, something that is not common around us. And it has led us into a culture, a cancel culture filled with echo chambers. I think it's also what has led us to the the magnitude of hookup culture. Let me explain what I mean by that. You wanna talk about difficult situation, let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about romantic relationships, difficult. And more and more, with technology making it easier and easier to just find anybody and everybody, we're saying, I don't wanna endure with somebody. 
It's too hard. It's gonna ask commitment from me. We're allergic to commitment. I'm gonna have to humble myself and sacrifice and lay down some of my rights and my wants for somebody else. No thank you. But we all still want relationship. It's part of how we're made. And so the facade that we are living under as a culture is, hey, I'm just gonna get what I want and not have to do the engaging with people and enduring in a relationship. Sex, right? You guys are like, normally you like have a funny story to start, you're just attacking hookup culture. Happy Father's Day. But the problem is, every human being craves to be loved. So what you really want is not just sex, you know that, but we're living under this idea that we can just kind of have this no strings attached relationship culture. And I can prove to you that it doesn't work, thanks to Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman. There is a movie called No Strings Attached, and the plot of the movie is exactly this. We don't wanna engage and endure in an actual relationship, but we both wanna have sex, so let's just have sex with each other and that'll be it. How does the movie end for anybody who's seen it? They end up together confessing their love because they find out there are supposed to be strings attached in relationships. That's how they're designed. You want somebody by your side that says, I'm not going anywhere no matter what may come. And so if you are in that culture right now, hear me, I'm not mad at you, I was you. I sought that life. I thought that's what it's, you're supposed to do. I looked up to the guys that could text a girl, one of many, and be hooking up with her a few hours later. That's what I thought being a man was. And then by the grace of God, he grabbed hold of my life and I started to see the emptiness that I was already creating in myself and in other people's lives. Some of you may say like, I'm just not in a place in my life right now where I'm ready for a serious relationship, then please don't get into one, but also don't sleep with somebody because there are strings attached. If you're not willing to engage and endure in a relationship, then don't. But don't live under the facade that there's a no strings attached possibility to relationships. I'm not mad at you. I was you. I'm mad for you because I don't think you're realizing the gift of relationship that is possible in this life from God that he will give to you and you're letting yourself be robbed from it and you're probably robbing some other people on the way. All right, you and me. Okay, I'm just gonna bring my notes over here. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Now, by the grace of God, as he's been transforming my life, and my life is not about building my kingdom, and it's become about trying to build his kingdom, and see the love of Jesus change the world and transform people's lives, it's not the guy with bottle service and 10 girls around him that I look up to now. I love that guy. I wanna have lunch with that guy and tell him God's got a purpose for your life, there's more to life. The guy I look up to is the dad at the park who's sweating in the Austin heat, exhausting himself, showing his kids a picture of grit, of engaging and enduring with them. It's the grandpa who still got the twinkle in his eye for the wife of his youth, married for 60 years through trials and tribulations and ups and downs. We stuck it out. Those are the guys that I look up to. I admire the people who have dinner tables that are filled with people different than them who refuse to live in echo chambers, who refuse to cancel and choose to forgive and to listen and engage and endure in relationship. And we, we as the people of God are called to be these people. 
If you wanna see how little relational grit there is in this culture right now, go on Facebook during an election season. Go on Instagram when there's a hot social topic or a celebrity divorce trial. Or just, yeah, <laughs> conviction all over them. <laughs> oh, dang. Amber Heard is a human being. Or just go on TikTok. And look at a young generation of people crying out for attention, crying out for some grit, crying out for somebody to engage and endure in their life and show them what life is supposed to be about, somebody to love them and not seeing pictures of it anywhere. But we've got something better to show the next generation. In a culture where 50% of marriages get canceled, to show a picture of grit in marriage, of sticking it out, of fighting for each other. A country where a quarter of the kids are growing up in single parent homes. Shout out to all you single parents in this room. <laughs> to help those kids rewrite history. This is who we're called to be. In the most offendable culture that cancels people with 160 characters or less, we gotta show the next generation relational grit. If you're that person in your workplace, your boss won't know what to do with you. Wait, you don't backstab people and talk trash about everybody in the break room and you work hard? Like, have you been anywhere recently? Nothing is efficient. Nobody cares about their job. Everybody's doing the bare minimum. You're that gritty employee. Here's the beautiful thing. Grit stands out now unlike it ever has. We have such an opportunity in the way that we operate and treat people and love people. And this is what draws us to Jesus, the goat, grittiest of all time. There's my one joke. It's not even a joke, it's true. Jesus, the man of the people, we love this about Jesus. Look, at here's Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. And he's standing next to her in public, identifying as somebody that's friends with her. Imagine the shame everybody would put on him. He doesn't care. That's family. Here's Jesus with the woman at the well, the Samaritan, one of those people. He doesn't care, that's family. Engaging and enduring in relationship. A, a great example of this is Matthew the tax collector. Matthew chapter nine, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Look at Jesus stepping out. And they're walking to dinner at Matthew's house. And all of the canceling, all of these different groups in this culture are doing to each other are all being brought into question by Jesus right here. The disciples are like, hey, 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 Jesus, we've canceled the tax collectors. They are the scum of the earth, they're traitors. You're trying to invite us to dinner at this guy's house? The Pharisees show up, great at canceling people. Jesus, just so you know, since you're a holy man, you're a rabbi, you should probably know how things work around here. Prostitutes, those hellish people, canceled. Your loudmouth fishermen buddies who drink and cuss, canceled. A tax collector? Man, we even like your disciples and those prostitutes more than that tax collector. We can unify right here against that guy. Matthew's standing there like, Jesus, are you aware of what these people tweet about me? 
Are you sure you wanna be seen with me and be at my house? Right in the midst of it, Jesus just endures with people. Prostitutes are just rowing with him. Demon-possessed people, come on. These loudmouth fishermen, his entourage. Samaritans, those people, guests of honor at his table. This tax collector is like a brother to him. And it just gets grittier and grittier. Maybe the grittiest picture of relationship is the Last Supper that we think of as this beautiful painting, but was more like dinner in a high school locker room. I'm talking about the smell in the room. Talk about gritty. These guys were on the road together for three years. They didn't have deodorant then. Somebody should have brought Jesus a power washer for their feet. But the social implications of this dinner and him washing their feet, those are, are far grittier. These guys, Matthew, the tax collector, has a resume we would be embarrassed to be seen with. And there's Jesus washing his feet. Give me something grittier than that. Okay, the cross. Splinters in his open wounds, the sun beating down, his lungs failing, and he uses some of his last breaths to cry out for the Pharisees, the cancelers. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do not cancel them. Jesus endures to death to make sure that nobody gets canceled in his kingdom. We love this about him because we see ourselves somewhere on the spectrum of people, right? Maybe you're the person, the canceled person, the hated person that thought nobody could ever love me again, let alone God himself. Or maybe you are the canceler and you've pushed everybody else away. We find ourselves in his story and we love it. We know how desperately we needed Jesus to come and engage and endure in a difficult situation for us. And then he tells us to go and do likewise. This is when we don't like Jesus anymore. You said to, what, I said, oh, oh, ah, think I lost you. I was trying to think in, in this cultural climate, like some of those people groups in that time maybe don't translate to us. What would be a really difficult group of people for you to, to go love and engage and endure with? And then I thought, actually, this is really easy. For half of you, it's Republicans, and for half of you, it's Democrats. Like, let's be honest, politics are really the most prevalent religion in this country. Jesus, you want me to walk across the street and engage in enduring relationship with my neighbor who has the other political party sign in their yard? We don't even wave to our neighbors. We don't know their names. We let our garage doors close before our car is off to make sure we don't have to talk to them, especially the ones with the other political party sign in the yard. And you want me to go invite them over for dinner? and engage in relationship with them, and then endure when we disagree on things? Your political opinions mean absolutely nothing if you can't love somebody on the other side. Your opinions and posts are meaningless if you can't sit in the tension of a good conversation and speak with love. Where did I get that? 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Scripture is telling you it does not matter how right you think you are. If you can't speak it in love, nobody can hear you. It's like what you sound like is a 12-year-old hand them some drumsticks and go, go to town on these drums. You know how long people sit around and listen to 12-year-olds play the drums? They do not. <laughs> when my three-year-old son is upset and he starts yelling, we just tell him, hey, we can't hear you when you yell. 
So if you're curious why your, your rants on social media that are laced with hate, not grace, aren't changing anybody's life, it's because they literally can't hear you. Can't hear you. Very prevalent in our culture. We can talk about it all out there, but let's just be honest. It might even be worse within the church. Why do you think there's so many denominations? So hard to engage and endure with something you care about, your faith. There's a place for conversation, right? There's a place for opinions and convictions, but we lack the relational grit to ever get anywhere with each other. So we just leave. There have literally been church splits over whether or not Adam, the original man, had a belly button. I'm not joking. That is real which is hilarious until we remember that we leave churches because of the coffee and the air conditioning or lack thereof, God help us. <laughs> Over 70th tier theological things we disagree with. That pastor didn't condemn people and send them to hell. That pastor pushed me too much. I don't like somebody to tell me that God knows better than me, so I'm just gonna go somewhere else. I didn't like the thing that person in the, the group said, so I'm just not gonna go anymore. I'm convicted about this. The lack of relational grit in my life and in the church. And today, I am pleading with you as people following Jesus to rise above this angry, polarized, politicized culture that is burying people who are still walking around on earth to engage and endure with one another. And I wanna take some notes from Paul from his letter to the Roman church. Before I start into that, let me give you a little context. Romans, this letter, is said to be Paul's theological masterpiece. For 11 chapters, he just lays it out. The doctrine and, and, and the, the beauty of the gospel and what this all means and explains it so magnificently. And then he spends the last five chapters speaking practically from there. Okay, if this is our foundation, Here's what this means about the way we operate, our morals, our ethics, the way that we, we do things. So Paul is writing to the church in Rome, the most influential city in the world. His, his time is ticking. He's gonna be killed for his faith. Trying to get the message of the gospel to them so they can go and share the good news. And he has to take a pause to talk about food. As Judah Smith says, he has to take a break from his theological masterpiece to talk about bacon and beer. So we can take heart that Christians have been getting lost in the weeds since the beginning. We're really, really good professional at majoring on the minor things. In Rome, people are arguing about food in the church. Just as I am answering your email about whether a pastor should have a man bun and tattoos. That's for me. While in Rome, in Austin, people are wasting away, looking for hope and life in dead things, canceling each other, killing each other. And we've gotta talk about food. This church is on mission, being persecuted, just simply trying to get the word out that Jesus has died and risen from the grave 
for anybody and everybody. And we're fighting about food. And what you'll hear Paul say is, hey guys, if we wanna go get this right and love people and engage in enduring relationship out there, we better get it right in here first. Romans 14, one, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So I'm gonna give you a little context because it kind of sounds like Paul was being a jerk, calling some people weak in their faith. There's kind of two camps here he'll refer to as weak in their faith, strong in their faith. And that doesn't mean right or wrong. Those that are being referred to by the church as weak in their faith are the ones that are obsessing over the little things and the rules who still think that their righteousness is based on what they do right or wrong. They're focused on old theology and what food is okay to eat now. And then there's the strong believers who are like bulldozers that are like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm set free. You're pathetic. I will eat what I want, when I want, with whom I want, and nobody's gonna tell me different. And if you can't get on board with that, then I question whether you are even a Christian. That's what's happening here. Well, well, Paul, see, these guys don't take it seriously. They're just negligent. I've heard some of them dance. <laughs> see what I'm saying, Paul? Weak in their faith. They can't handle the world. They're not cut out for this. They don't get it. The ironic thing is, one group who thinks that their righteousness is based on what they eat and drink is judging people who do something different. The people who think they're better than that are just judging the other people who do things different than they do. And Paul's going, hey, uh, we're on the same team here. Here's how the message translates Romans 14.1. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Could you imagine if we operated like that as the church? And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Could you imagine if we treated each other gently? He dives into the food issue. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Give you the message paraphrase of this passage. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list, canceling people, or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Are you the self-appointed watchdog? We're on the same team here. He talks about the Sabbath too. Hey, it's not about what day of the week. When you rest, what you eat, make it all for the glory of God. And if somebody thinks something different than you, then maybe, just maybe, consider going and sitting down and talking about it. I, I'm aware if you have dinner, you're gonna be eating different foods but maybe learn from one another, engage in relationship, and let's get back to keeping the main thing the main thing. All the people in the city, no idea their heavenly father made them and loves them and sent his son to die for them and rise again, and we're just spending our time talking about the shoes that pastors wear. 
spending more time arguing on social media than we are loving our neighbors. Listen to this, verse nine. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. Man, wouldn't it be nice to be freed of all our petty tyrannies? There's a place for conversation about all kinds of things, whether it's my vans or the food you eat or drink. The, the place for it is just not at the main table. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. The problem is when those things take the place of the mission that we've been given as the church. It all boils down to Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let me read this last chunk from the message. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that, and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit the righteousness that Jesus gave to us. We did not earn that. You can't become righteous by what you eat or drink. It is only by his blood. It is the gift of his righteousness that then starts to transform our lives with peace and joy and a call to live differently and be set apart. But we're too busy policing each other, stopping us before we can even begin the transformation process. But when we focus on those things and we see him working through our life, it's contagious and then someone else in your life, someone out in the city, realizes that there is righteousness and it came from Jesus, that they have right standing with God, that they have eternity because of what he did and there's peace and joy in their life and that will continue on and on and on because it's good news. And our call is to rise above our petty tyrannies of politics and opinions and the idea that we know best. You don't believe everything you did five years ago and you won't believe everything you do right now five years from now. Everybody in this room is majoring on something minor Everybody in this room is opinionated on something and you're wrong. Everybody in this room believes something about God that is wrong. Beware the sin of certainty and how you impose that on the people in your life. When we start to get some relational grit, don't even try, they're not gonna, it's not happening. <laughs> when we start to get some relational grit, it asks a lot from us. We're now engaging and enduring with people who are different than us. Tough conversations, humbling ourselves, sacrificing, laying down our rights and our wants. And it's in those moments when we're poured out like Jesus for the sake of other people knowing the good news that I think we say, now we're talking. This is what life is supposed to be like. And I want those moments to be the moments that we have as a church family all the time. We kept the main thing the main thing and now we're talking because we're seeing people come to know the righteousness, peace, and joy of Jesus. That's why everybody loves baptism Sundays here, right? It's like the grittiest day of the year. That water is gritty, <laughs> literally. 
But you hear those stories and you see people say, hey, I'm an imperfect person pursuing a perfect God and it's gritty, but I'm engaging and enduring in my relationship with Jesus and we're gonna do this as a family. You go, now we're talking. So many of you over the last three and a half years that have served in this church show up early, step out to talk to somebody different than you in the lobby outside of the comfort of your friend circle to go talk to someone who looks different than you or votes differently than you. Gritty people, keeping people coming back to hear the good news of Jesus. Group leaders, being those people who hold the group together, not letting discussions turn into disagreements and split the group, holding people together, learning to be adults and converse and disagree well and sit in tension and, and gray area and love each other. Now we're talking. There's a, one of the now we're talking moments of this year for me um, was when I went on the Celebrate Black Austin tour. So uh, Brian and Jane, who are in this service, are two amazing people who are gritty. They have relational grit. I know that the conversation surrounding race is, is a very difficult conversation, difficult situation in this culture, but for us, this is not a political conversation, it's a people conversation. We are advocates for the Imago Dei because every human being was created in the image of God and Revelation 7, 9 tells us that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be at the throne of Jesus and so we want a church that looks like that. Brian and Jane came to us and said, hey, we want the same thing. We're not here to shame people or cancel people. We wanna build bridges. And I walked on the Celebrate Black Austin tour and there was a moment where I stepped back and I saw two people, who, both of whom I know, and I go, I didn't say this to them, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, and right now none of that matters because you've risen above your politics and you care about people. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. And I want so many more, now we're talking moments. A lot of you are patiently with grit, praying and enduring while we await our God Behind Bars campus launch. It's taking longer than we hoped. Some of you are gonna walk into that prison and it's gonna feel gritty. You're gonna be nervous. I won't know what to say, I don't know how to relate. And then worship's gonna be going and somebody's gonna come to you, a woman's gonna come to you for prayer. And you're gonna get to tell a human being, oh, God's not done with you. He's just getting started right here in your prison cell. And you're gonna drive home that night and go, okay, God, now we're talking. This is why I exist. This, this summer we'll do our Love Our City Week at the end of July where we, we get together with our local partners and we go serve to highlight what they're doing and hopefully plug you in long-term to, to serve with them. For some of you, you're gonna end up pulling weeds at Community First Village to help make a house, a home for somebody coming off the streets, now we're talking. Or maybe you're gonna start mentoring some kids with side-by-side -side kids at one of the elementary schools right by us. Or, or mentor a pregnant teenager with the source and help her walk into motherhood. Or some, some underprivileged kids, you're gonna mentor them through sports with RBI Austin. And they're gonna ask a lot of you. You're gonna feel poured out and exhausted. And you might be the one picture of grit that they get of somebody who says, I'm gonna engage and endure with you. I'm in this with you. I believe in you. And they're gonna call you in a difficult moment or you're gonna celebrate an amazing day and go, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Maybe you'll intern at this church and undertake the crazy idea of a nine-month full-time unpaid internship. Great sales pitch. <laughs> and you get to hang out with us, so... 
and, and you'll work hard and you'll grind and you'll see that ministry is not as glamorous as it might appear. But then one day, it'll be your hard work that sets the table for somebody else to put their faith in Jesus and you'll go, okay, now we're talking. A lot of you, it's your gritty generosity in this church. It takes grit to be generous, to give on behalf of somebody else and you may never get anything in return. Difficult. And it's your gritty generosity that's gonna put a pastor on a bike in India to go to a, an unreached people group that has never heard the gospel before and they're gonna get to know the righteousness, peace, and joy of Jesus and we're gonna say together, now we're talking. For the practical people in the room, you're like, this sounds great in theory. I see that Jesus was the master of this, but I have a lot of opinions. I'm not brave enough to step out, to engage with people. What are some helpful tools? Here's four, and they all start with S because for some reason we feel like we have to do that. None of you care. <laughs> and I'm gonna illustrate these through one last story. Search for the story, sit in tension, seek the spirit, and share the good news. This is some tools, some ways to have some relational grit. So let me finish with this story. A couple weeks ago, a woman called during a busy workday. Emily answered the phone, and the basic conclusion was this woman's in trouble. She needs help. She Googled churches. We're close by, and so she's coming here to see if we can help her. A while later, she showed up, and Chris and I went down to the lobby to meet her, and from the second I saw her, I could tell there's a story going on here. I could see the look in her eye. And as human beings who are busy, it is so easy to just try to get out of any interaction with a person as quickly as possible, right? But I felt this, this conviction, search for her story. Don't just give her a gift card and tell her good luck. Listen to her. She's God's kid. She's family. And her story, in short, is that she grew up in foster care, difficult life, ended up with an awesome foster mom, but also ended up in addiction, got pregnant, and over the years has fallen back into addiction, found herself in Texas, and reached the point where she was having to sell her body to survive. She told Chris and I, I turned my last trick last night. I have $30. I need to go home to California. I can't live like this anymore. My daughter's now pregnant. I'm gonna be a grandmother. I need to go home. I don't have that conversation super often. There's some tension in the room, here in this story, and we sat in it, and then we said, okay, let's figure this out. So we got her foster mom on the phone, and they started talking, and she said, I've got a, a rehab program for her. We just gotta get her here. We started at Chris, who's the logistical guy. He's already like, there's a 6 p.m. flight. It's in three hours. We can get her there. We can get her on that plane. I've got it. And they both go, oh, well, a flight today is gonna be really expensive. And we said, oh, well, you're at Red Rocks Church. There's some people with some gritty generosity in this place, so I honestly don't care how much your plane ticket costs, we're paying for it because we're not putting you back out on the streets, you're going home. Chris is on the phone with United and TSA, making sure she can get on because she only has a homeless ID, making sure she won't get turned away at the airport. Got a lift on its way to take her. And she, she hung up with her mom. She said, mom, I'm coming home. And it was like the most verbal exhale I've ever heard in my life. I can only describe it as the, the relief of a woman who's been stuck in addiction, 
been forced to sell her body, finding out that her present reality will not be her future one. And then it got really fun, because we sat there, we're waiting for the lift and talking, and she's looking around, she's like, well, this seems like a cool church. She looked at me and said, I, I know I need God in my life, but I've just, I've run so far from him. These are the moments in life where everything's like the lights are blinking, like tell her about Jesus. Tell her the truth. There's also a part of you that's going, I don't know what to say. I haven't lived that life. I don't know, can't relate. I don't wanna say the wrong thing. The secret weapon is the Holy Spirit. I just go, Holy Spirit, give me the words. And it just started pouring out. I said, hey, I don't know everything you've been through, but I do know what it feels like to think that you have gone so far away from God that he wants nothing to do with you. You think he's on the other side of the world. That's how far you've run, but you turn around and he is face to face with you because he loves you, because you're his daughter. And most of the time as a pastor, you tell people like God loves you and they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she looks at me and she goes, really? Like, is that true? He loves me? I said, oh yeah, and I can prove it to you. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for everything that you think would separate you from him and he rose to give you new life. You are a new creation today because of Jesus. You are not defined by what you've done, you are defined by what's been done for you. We prayed together, we gave her a Bible, gave her a starter pack devotion. She said, give me another one, I wanna do this with my daughter. And we shared the grittiest, best hug, all three of us just hugging in the lobby. We got her loaded up in the lift. Okay, God, now we're talking. Before she left, she was actually checking her bag to see if she needed to ditch any drugs in our trash can. <laughs> now we're talking. That's why we're here. A few days later, she texted me this. I just wanted to let you know I got accepted into rehab today. It's a year program and I couldn't have done it without you guys. I just wanted to let your church know how grateful and thankful I am that God put you in my life. And she sent me a selfie of herself in a church with a big cross behind her. She said, I'm in church, I can't wait to visit yours. I will be coming back once I complete rehab with my daughter and granddaughter and your church will be our first stop. This is our story. It's not about me and Chris. You made this possible. This is who we are. This is who we're called to be. Gritty people, a gritty church that will engage and endure with every last human being that God brings into our family. This is our calling. And as we do that, we will have so many moments together where we'll look at each other and say, now we're talking. So if you'd stand to your feet, I was writing this out the other day and I was so excited. I never wanna forget this story. I was putting it all down. And I, th I thought, okay, well, I've gotta end this. So here's the prayer that I wrote. God, give us the grit. At Red Rocks Church, let's freaking go.